you are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture reading today is from Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you are presenting? Because what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you were extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed, To an unknown God. Therefore... What you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who has made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek out God, And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, then, we shouldn't think about the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left the presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. It's great to see you. I'm Carrie Stevens. And as our video showed you, we're in the middle of a series. We're almost at the end of it, actually, called You Have a Part to Play. And if you're new or if you've missed any of the previous weeks, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to sermons on the topics like homelessness and creation care and fame culture so that you can catch up and on the conversations we're having as a people about issues that impact us and our city. Today, I have the illustrious opportunity to share with you uh, on the biblical view of our common humanity. So, as I've prepared for this sermon this week, I have realized I've been given this amazing opportunity to potentially offend every person in this room. (laughs) Yay, me. (sighs) But really, even as much as the topic, a discussion, a light discussion of the topic of our common humanity could potentially be offensive, I've also kind of realized this week that our humanity itself can be kind of offensive. 
Like, we're sort of the worst to each other, right? I told you, you'd be offended. Um, (laughs) A few years ago, this came to my face directly through my daughter because she came to me because she had heard a news story. Shocking that we would be offended by the news, but um, she heard a news story in which a leader had shared some comments that were fairly sexist and racist. Now, my daughter brought them to me, and I had things I wanted to say about broken systems, about unjust structures, even maybe share my own fighting words that I would say if I could tell that person to their face what I thought. But that's not what my daughter was asking for. My daughter was coming to me and asking me this, Mom, what do I do when people are awful? Right? What do we do when people are awful? Well, I want to look today at Acts 17 and Paul's sermon to see God's perspective on the awfulness of humanity. I want to look today and see and ask this question. What part do we have to play when people are awful? Here in Acts, Paul has come to Athens, and he's fairly offended by the culture there and the idolatry he sees. Uh, There's a group of people there that just like philosophizing and talking and discussing and debating life and the purpose of life and the meaning of life. And there's kind of two camps of main thought within the Athenian culture, and it's the Stoics and the Epicureans. And they're sort of trying to figure out, with all the pain and pleasure available and in our lives, how do we kind of deal with all of that? How do we find ourselves in the midst of that? And Paul realizes that these people have, number one, no real concept of eternity, and secondly, that they don't know the one true God. So Paul comes in, and when they ask him, what do you think about all of this? Paul breaks it down. And he begins by explaining God's very present, very purposeful will in humanity. In verses 26 through 27, when he says, from one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. When I look around this room, I see a room full of people that kind of comes pretty close to being from almost every nationality on earth. I mean, we're definitely hitting the main continents, right? We're pretty close to Paul's description of humanity. And Paul is telling us here that he's made, God made all of us. He put us where we are. He put us when we are. He made us who we are for one specific purpose. So that we might reach out and find God. Paul's offering us the possibility that in the midst of all the pain and pleasure, in the midst of all the awful and wonderful parts of our lives, God's giving us an opportunity to find him, which is sort of an incredible way of really viewing our lives. But how do we do that, right? Like, how do we do that? How do we reach out and find God, particularly when people are kind of awful to us? In the video this morning, Chelsea shared a story about a time when a white woman spat in her face. Now, 
There may be people in this room who really aren't sure what to do with that story. There might be people in this room who kind of want to go on with their life and forget it or at least push it off to the side. Okay? There might be people in this room who want to think of reasons why spitting in someone's face in that moment wasn't actually a racially charged confrontation. Maybe you just want to move past it, right? But if so, I just, I humbly ask you to stop in this moment and refuse to reframe from a distance what my friend experienced firsthand. Spitting in someone's face looks and feels like hatred. And I'm pretty sure if we really thought about it, hatred is at the root of just about every awful thing humans have ever done in history. Hatred is dehumanizing. It robs people of who God really made them to be. And hatred can look like racism. It can look like sexism or classism or ableism. Hatred can look like just refusing to care about what happens to people because it doesn't affect you personally because maybe they're foreigners. They live somewhere that you've never been and you don't care to ever go. Or because they have different political views than you have. Or because they have a different faith than you have. And so it's easy to turn away and stop caring about what happens to them. Jesus taught us that hatred from God's perspective is a really big deal. Because in God's view, hating another person in your heart is the equivalent of committing murder. So, the terrifying truth about that is that in my life, I've hated people. I mean, I've never spat in someone's face or tried to actually murder a person. But in my heart, I'm as guilty as they come. Who here can say that your heart's always been sinless? Maybe this room, maybe this room is full of heart spitters today and people who've been spat on in one way or another. Maybe that's partly what can make it uncomfortable for us to be in this room sometimes. But maybe, maybe God's brought us Chelsea's story today as an opportunity to seek him, to reach out, and to find him together. So where do we start? To circle back to a question I asked earlier, which now feels much more personal. How do we find God when people are awful? According to Paul, we start with repentance. In verse, verses 30 and 31, Paul said, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. 
we should repent. Christians should live lives marked by repentance and humility. But I just have to ask, I mean, is it just me? Or is repentance a little uncomfortable for you too? Like, I'm super cool with repentance when it's somebody else. (laughs) Right? Like, if my friend or my coworker or my child or my spouse comes to me and says, I have realized I need to repent. I need God to change my life. I need this part of my life to become more holy. I need God in a way I didn't know before. I am like, go get him, tiger. That's right, baby. Like, you are a glorious force of love in the world, and I see you. But for myself... Please don't ever tell me I did anything wrong. I can't possibly bear it. We don't want to repent. Well, we're not the first people in history to kind of shy away from the idea of personal repentance, which is actually probably why Paul worded it this way, right? Like, God commands all people everywhere to repent. It's like an ancient BuzzFeed quiz, uh, sort of self-reflection thing. You guys like BuzzFeed quizzes, right? Okay, so we're going to do this Paul's ancient BuzzFeed quiz together. Are you ready? All right, now, if you're from a quiet church background, just push that to the side. Step in to the hale rising up inside you, and let's make this happen together. Okay, first question we're going to answer out loud. Am I a person? Yes. Yes. Second question in Paul's BuzzFeed quiz, am I somewhere? Yes. Okay, guess what? Your BuzzFeed results are in. And apparently you are a human in need of salvation and God is very near to you, longing for you to reach out and find him. It's amazing. I'm not sure what Disney character that makes you, but you can think about that later. The easiest way to get close to God is to live with an attitude of continual repentance. In fact, God hasn't just suggested you go home and think about repenting, journal about the possibility of maybe repenting, pray about maybe should you repent. He just commanded it. He's like, look, just repent. Let's go. For a lot of us, this is hard because like the Stoics in Athens... We would be more comfortable with repentance if we were allowed to earn it by our good works. Right? Deserve forgiveness. I like forgiveness that I deserve. Except there is none. (laughs) For others of us, this is hard because we feel like our own pain justifies our behavior. And when you get down to it, we kind of feel like if God expected us to do better, he should have made our lives easier. Like the Epicureans, we would like to just enjoy our life, savor the pleasures afforded to us, and move away from the discomfort. And if we're, if we're willing, if we take that baby step into facing our own personal sinfulness, if we're very brave in that way, even then, it's tempting to move away from repentance for what our culture is doing. 
that is dehumanizing. It's tempting to move away from repenting for what people who look like us did once upon a time, but that wasn't really us, so it's not my fault. Interestingly, that's not what Jesus did. Right? Like, Jesus never looked at my life and said, Carrie, I'm just going to repent for all the sin in my life, and you're going to have to deal with your own, yourself. No. Jesus picked up the sin of the whole world, sinless though he was, and he carried all of it to the cross. He threw his whole self into redemption, even when he wasn't personally responsible. And maybe while repentance starts with our own sin, facing our own awfulness, and what we've personally done, it's supposed to grow as we mature as Christians, right? And it's supposed to grow into joining Jesus in carrying all the awful sin and hatred in the world to the Father and knowing that God himself wants to redeem every bit of it. But what can help us do something so impossible as that? What can give us the courage and the power necessary to live that kind of repentance in our own daily lives? Well, I believe that it's stories, as simple as that sounds. Telling our stories and listening to other people's stories can help us to repent. It can help us to to live a life of love and sacrificial love that goes beyond our natural ability. And I'm going to show you two kinds of stories that are necessary for us to live repentant lives. First... We need each other's stories. The stories we share with one another, particularly in Christian community, help us to repent to one another better and love each other better. Because our stories are powerful in our communities. They tell us where we've come from as individuals, but they shape where we're going together. You know, growing up, I attended a church whose Sunday school drawings of Jesus looked a certain way. The Jesus I saw in my community as a child looked a lot like me, right? Like, are you surprised by that? Um, okay. I can't say for sure if he had blue eyes, but I remember he had very pale skin and like some highlights, you know? I mean, I was in California, so, you know. Um, I never question this, the veracity of this depiction of Jesus. Besides, we have the entire arsenal of Renaissance art from Europe to like fully re- reinforce Norwegian Jesus, you know? You know, if we do a little light research, like maybe one or two Google clicks, or if we thought for a minute, maybe a minute and a half, 
we'll realize we've never met a person native to the Middle East who looks like Jim Gaffigan. (laughs) What I'm saying is that although we don't really know what Jesus looked exactly like, let's just agree in this space, this brave space of ours, that he wasn't pasty white. Does that matter? Money question. Does it matter? Is this a big deal? Well, because as an adult, I have been shaped by stories from my friends and people of color about how they have not been equally or honorably represented in art and media and even in the church. I'm telling you that it 100% matters in America, in our cultural time and context. It matters. Consequently, in July, when the Christmas decorations show up in the stores, (laughs) I browse the nativity aisle, right? And I look to see if baby Jesus is going to need SPF 100 on the road home from Bethlehem. It's a hobby. It's in my Instagram stories. So the other day, I did this. I'm standing in front of a nativity, and Jesus needed some sunscreen, and I'm looking at it, posting on Instagram. And this man walks up next to me. And starts admiring the artistry of the nativity we're looking at. And he's talking about it. And then he turns to me and he says, I mean, don't you just think this nativity is beautiful? And because of stories I've heard here, I couldn't not say something. So I replied to the man. I said, I do. It is a beautiful nativity. I just have a hard time with white baby Jesus. And he said, oh, but you don't think anybody's going to notice that, do you? I assured him I knew quite a few people who would notice that, including myself standing next to you who just noticed that. And then the horrible thing happened when the man told me that his wife had already bought this nativity and it was at home in a box and he had just popped in to see it on display. And I died. Like, I I criticized this man's own nativity and I could tell he really loved Jesus. I felt super bad. So he kept talking about the nativity and his Christmas decorations and I'm dying inside. And, And then... He turned to me at the end of the conversation and he said, I can't wait to get my new nativity out. He said, but I think I'm going to have to do something about baby Jesus because of what you said. Okay. It's a baby step, but it's a step, right? Like we're having a conversation about something that matters in our lives, in the lives of the people who come into our home and who we talk to all the time. And It matters. Baby steps are still steps. I'll have to do something about Jesus because of what 
you said. This is the heart of the You Have a Part to Play series. That the world would hear our stories and respond with, I'll have to do something about Jesus because of what you told me, because of what you did for me. I think actually that is the voice of repentance. That's the sound of repentance in a person's life. I'm going to have to do something about Jesus because of what I know now that I didn't know then. And stories like Chelsea's help us to repent and do better. I mean, may we be a people whose lives are marked by I'm going to do something about Jesus because of what God has said to me. Because he said he made me and he put me here in Austin in 2019. And he created me and he's commanded me to repent. And he's asking me to reach out and find him even though there are awful things happening all the time. Which brings me to the second story. Christians need to live a life of repentance. We need the story of Jesus. In the gospel, we find a story that proves we don't just need to repent horizontally to one another. We've got to repent vertically to God. That's what Paul's telling the Athenians and us in Acts 17.31 when he says, God has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he's appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You know, in the end, we have one thing in common. Judgment day. I told you it's offensive. God's going to look at each of our lives and he's going to ask us, what did you do about Jesus? I want us to be able to answer that well. How much are we seeking to live lives in line with the justice and mercy and righteousness that Jesus won for all humanity on the cross? That day my daughter asked me about the comments that leader made. I did not curse the person like I wanted to. (laughs) I did tell her that those were evil, hateful words, and they were unacceptable. I told her I understood why they hurt her because they hurt me too. And I told her that person would have to give an account to God someday for the way he spoke about God's people. Then I had to tell her the greatest story I know about that person. I had to tell her, you know what's crazy? God loves that person just as much as he loves you and he loves me. He made that person in his image. And he longs for him like he longs for us to reach out and find him. had to tell her, as crazy as it sounds, God really is crazy in love with awful people. And that Jesus came for all the awful people like me. And like her. 
and like all of us. I found as I told her all of that, you know, the sting of the words didn't go away completely, but it lessened a little, right? Because I was getting closer to God as I reached out for what was more true than the pain that I felt. We are never closer to God than when we're humbly reaching out, repenting if we need to, and seeking him in the midst of all the awful things we face. And if we'll do this, if we'll live horizontally repentant to one another and vertically repentant to God, I really believe it's going to do something amazing in our midst. If we can get good at repentance for big things and small things, it will make us one. Paul wrote about what one looks like in Ephesians 4, what the repentant church looks like when he said, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. We are in this together. And what happens to one of us shapes all of us. That is why our stories are powerful and that is why our stories are important. When I think about Ephesians 4 and being one and being in it together, I automatically think about Hurricane Harvey in 2017. Do you remember how when Houston flooded, people like jumped in their trucks and pulled their boats down there and got to work? Texans are amazing, right? People in this church went down and mucked out houses. We raised money to get supplies to people who had lost everything. As a church, we, we went for it. As a state, we went for it. It was amazing. We were in it together. And then about a week later, a rumor of a gas shortage rolled through Austin. Do you remember that? We went a little over the edge, right? Like people were like cutting off little old ladies to get in line so they could get gas. It was a little intense. We forgot that we were all in it together. And we were suddenly in it for ourselves and our gas tanks. During that time, I drove by the Cedar Park Costco, and there were police there. And I heard a rumor. Now, this may not be true, but it's so good. So let's gossip in church. Um, I heard a rumor that somebody pulled a gun out at the Costco gas station in order to defend their place in line or keep someone from taking their gas or some kind of confrontation happened involving a gun. Okay, I have two things to say about that. One, if anyone thought that it was a good idea to discharge a firearm at a gas station, we need a better social consciousness about combustion. (laughs) Secondly, if one week we can drive our gas-guzzling trucks to Houston to help flood victims, and the next week freak out completely because we're afraid that everyone we've ever known is going to leave us gasless, suffering on the side of the road. We have forgotten that we're all in it together. 
we need to show up for each other like there's been a flood way more often. How do we do that? Well, here, simple steps within this community, join a community group. We keep saying it and you keep putting it off. Just join a community group already. Find your people. Buy them a tank of gas. It's repentance. Um, Community groups, come to TGA, the Gospel and Diversity, on November 1st. Come listening. Come engage in a conversation about something you'd rather not talk about, but is so vitally important in this space and out there in the world. Come and listen. Third way, not just in here. Read some books. Listen to some books. Listen to some podcasts about people who are not like you, who have different experiences, but who amazingly have stories that will lead you closer to the God who loves you. God brought all of us here to Mosaic to show us how incredible it is to love and be loved by people with whom we seem to have very little in common. I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do or an easy way to live your life, and I'm not telling you it's not costly. I look around this room and I know it's cost everyone here something to find a place in uncomfortable space. But I promised you a biblical view of humanity, and that's pretty much it. Humans are a mess up, repent, and try again people. And I just want you to know, you are all the people I want to repent to and with for the rest of my life. That's what I know about unity. Not that we always get it right or that it always feels good, but I know that I want to be here with you in the mix and the mess, finding God together. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.